Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. All right. Hey, if you're uh, just getting back from spring break, welcome. If you're just taking off, welcome. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, if you didn't receive the program notes in uh, on your way in, you're going to need those. Ushers on the side have them. Just give a wave, and they'll get these notes to you. You'll need them to fill in the blanks as we talk through this. Uh, we're really excited uh, about Easter. By the way, already over 200 people have RSVP'd online. Those are just 200 that we just <laughs> know about so far. But please go to brave.church. Uh, forward slash Easter. Let us know you're coming. It just lets us know how many seats to cram in here and how many windows and walls to knock out. Uh, We want to have seats for your family. All right. And then also uh, Easter, 90% of all people come because they're invited. And so we have some really cool uh, Easter door hangers that you can put around your neighborhood. We've been doing the Pray 90, uh, 90 minutes a week praying over our neighborhood. There's a table full of those back there. You can get those on your way out. Um, but let's, uh, we are completing, uh, really the first half. We're at halftime in a study in Ephesians called Secrets of the Super Rich. The idea being is that we're incredibly rich in Christ and the greatest riches of life money cannot buy. And so today we're going to talk about in chapter three, one of the greatest riches that all of us has given that is literally priceless and that is grace. Paul talked about grace more than any other topic. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 2, he starts out and he begins with grace and peace to you. You know, that's a great blessing to give to anybody. And then in verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then in verse 7, he speaks of the riches of God's grace. Chapter 2, verse 5, it's by grace we're saved. And then in verse 8, grace is a gift from God. Grace in the original Greek is charis, and charis means this, unconditional kindness. Wow, who couldn't use more of that? Unconditional kindness, goodness, loyalty, love, a gift. You know, grace is everywhere. You can find it in forgiveness. You can find grace in your family. Uh, you can find it in good art and poetry and beauty, even through everyday just acts of kindness, you know, being offered a cup of coffee or uh, an ice cold iced tea. Grace is given in so many different small ways. This week, I was really excited. Um, a while back, I had see, seen the movie Hidden Figures. You remember that movie, Hidden Figures? It was, it was an incredible movie, and my wife, Tracy, hadn't seen it yet, so we were going to watch it on Apple TV, and so I ran out to Whole Foods to get some health food. Uh, and I, you know, got some, I got some organic licorice, organic milk chocolate with almonds, you know, everything, as long as it says organic in the front of it, you're good. At least that's my motto. But this movie, uh, Hidden Figures is incredible because it's about three women, uh, who played significant roles in the space race of NASA. And it's an incredible movie. And so I'm going up to the, to the counter and this young, uh, clerk, uh, she's clearing out the other end. She's waving at me and kind of a fun girl and she's younger than both my sons. And I go down there and we're talking. Then another young girl comes up and she's going to check me out and everything. And we're, we're laughing and having a good time. And, and she goes, man, must be movie night. You know, she's looking at all my goodies and everything. And I go, yeah. She goes, well, what are you going to see? And I said, well, my wife hasn't seen hidden figures yet. And so we're going to watch it on Apple TV. And the other clerk, she goes, oh, that one best picture. And I'm thinking, no, no, I didn't. 
That's what I'm thinking. You know, yeah, Hidden Figures. No, she goes, yeah, Hidden Figures won Best Picture. And, and, then she, and then she goes in way deep. Remember how they made that mistake at the Oscars where Hidden Figures really won, but they announced La La Land, but it was actually Hidden Figures? And we're all having so much fun. And, and she has such confidence in what she's saying as being true. And she has so much joy and enthusiasm. I didn't have the heart to correct her. You you see, because it was Moonlight that actually won the best picture, but they announced that it was La La Land that won it, but we all know that Hidden Figures should have, or should have at least come in second to La La Land, which would have been way better than Moonlight. Did you follow all that, right? So she's got all of her movies all mixed up. Grace is sometimes being kind to someone, even when they're enthusiastically wrong. Do you give grace to your family members, to your spouse? An old Indian proverb says this, don't cut off someone's nose and then give them a rose to smell. Grace is kindness, it's goodness. The girls and I were just having a great time. We were connecting, it wasn't about the facts. Who cares about the facts? It was about relationship. You know, the more you study grace, the more beautiful It becomes. Grace goes against the flow of human nature because it's way easier to criticize or correct or compare or put someone in their place than speak words of grace. Remember the first time you ran onto the school playground when you were a child? You know, you're in elementary school. What did you you learn? Well, you learn really fast how you're ranked if you're in elementary school. Like, immediately the kids begin to say, like, you're tall, or you're short, or your head's big, or your ears are really big. You know, you know how kids do that? Or, or how, how come your legs are so long and your body's so short? I mean, in school, every feature, physical feature that you have gets pointed out either innocently or sometimes they make fun of you. And then, then you have to learn how to be cool and how to say cool things and deliver a cool line like, I don't make garbage, I burn it. Or, you know, the famous thing that you get into is you, you, say, you say, oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead, say oh yeah. Now say yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, and then your first nickname in school, whiner niner, little Marco, bumblebee pants, you know, just whatever. I don't know what it is. And kids are, kids, kids are always trying to figure out, how do I rank among everybody else? You know, like, who's the best athlete? Who gets picked first on the team? Who's the smartest? Who's the prettiest? Who's the funniest? And this continues all the way into adulthood. And we have so many different forms when we get into adulthood. We have the competitive moms whose motto is, never let the other mom see you sweat. Act like, oh yeah, I've got it all together. It's all perfect. Everything's really organized. And you just kind of pretend. Uh, You know, the, the opportunity to be critiqued or compared is endless in our lives. And if we needed someone else to help us feel a little less worthy, people are really good at doing that. But when you encounter someone who's just full of grace, they just like change the room. When they walk into the room, it's like, it's kind of like all the pressure goes out of the room. There's a sense of love. There's a sense of acceptance. There's a sense of peace, of ease. There is a soothing, peaceful presence 
when grace is present. Grace gives you permission to breathe, to live, to rest. Grace makes you feel like, you know, we can make it through this. We're going to be okay. And so Paul brings us to this chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. You have gifts. We're going to talk about this when we get into Ephesians 4. But you have gifts of grace that have been given directly and specifically to you for a reason. Gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, you and I, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, for you, which are your glory. I want to give you some observations, four or five observations. You could write these in your notes. Number one, grace is found in suffering. Paul found grace through the things that he suffered. We mature through suffering. Grace Like some rare riches, you have to dig deep and go deep in order to experience it. And grace is often found in suffering. Now, there are different kinds of suffering. Here's three that you can write down. Letter A, broken world suffering. Just, you know, everyone experiences hard times in this world. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's sickness. There's disease. This world is toxic and polluted in different ways. Our Our health is, our nutrition is, our food is, uh, people die, there's natural disasters, there's suffering that's brought on by evil, it's the broken world suffering that, that exists. And then the second thing is they're suffering through our own decisions, our own decisions. If you eat poorly... Uh, you're, there's going to be ramifications at some point in your life with that. If you spend too much, you're going to go in debt. Uh, if you don't study, you're going to fail that test, and God didn't do it to you. You just didn't study. If you drink too much, you're going to destroy your liver eventually. Uh, if, you t- if you tell someone on the first date you want to make beautiful babies with them, uh, that's going to be too much too soon. That's, uh, <laughs> that's th- you're going to create your own suffering, right? So a lot of suffering... A lot of suffering is our own choices. And then the third is because we follow Jesus. There's a form of suffering. It's brave to follow Jesus. Uh, Last year alone, it was estimated 150,000 Christians fled Iraq from fear of ISIS. Uh, Some of the worst discrimination in our world is, is happening right now. Every single day, Christians are dying for actually being Christians all over our world, worldwide, and people are being bullied for following Jesus. And we're going to see that more and more in America, that if you have a value system that it's identical to Jesus' value system, you're going to be bullied as if, 
you know, you're the bigot. You're, you're the one that's prejudiced. You're the one that has something wrong with you. Paul was in prison because of this kind of suffering, suffering brought on by, because of what he believed and what he held dear. And so Paul is saying, you know what? I'm under a lot of pressure, but I'm experiencing God's grace in my suffering, and there, there's glory that's coming out of all of this for God. Paul once prayed that God would take away a thorn in his flesh, and most people believe that 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 thorn was a form of physical sickness. He had an eye issue that he talks about even in one of his one of his epistles that he that he wrote, and God said, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness." And the process of suffering, it changes us. When you go through illness or sickness or difficulty or trials in your life, it causes you to reflect, doesn't it? It causes you to think about what do I really value in life and what's really most important in life. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, the word of God says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, not on just what we're going through in the physical, but what is unseen, since what is seen right now is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You don't know who you are, you don't know what you have until you experience the kind of suffering that makes you a grace-filled person. We don't need more perfect people. We don't need better looking people. God, I've got that covered, right? (laughs) We We don't need more successful people. We need more people who are filled with grace and peace. Who will take whatever life brings to them and use it to comfort and encourage other people? You know, the strongest faith story is seen in the person who endures suffering endures emotional pain or physical pain, and keeps on trusting God. In life, how you respond to heat and pressure shapes who you become as a person. Today on Palm Sunday, we're reminded that Jesus brought us a grace through the things he suffered and endured. The priceless things come through suffering. They come through endurance. He won through weakness, not through strength. He won through surrender, not fighting. He won through grace, not judgment. And then Paul says in verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written to you briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Write this in your notes. Mystery, that word mystery means a secret. Secrets of the super rich. A secret, something hidden which is now revealed. So there's a twist. The mis- this mystery does not mean something like it's an unsolved murder mystery that we can't figure out. In this context, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it means something that has now been solved in Christ, a need, a situation in Christ. Grace is described as a mystery because grace reacts differently to every form of human pain and suffering. Grace loves when other people reject and judge. Grace accepts when you feel shame and you feel guilt, grace comes in. 
not just because of what it means for us, but what it means, what it means for everyone. He says in verse six, this mystery is that through the gospel, the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together, heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. You see, every people group on earth finds unity together in Christ in one body. We have an eternal identity in Christ. I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God first, and I'm a Scottishman second. My wife Tracy is a Christian, and she's an Italian, Greek, beautiful goddess second. So we have an earthly identity, a tent that's going to fail away, it's going to collapse, it's going to decay, and then we have this eternal identity in Christ together. So this was a huge and scandalous statement when Paul first made this in the first century because there was a severe racist divide between Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other. There was a rabbi, there were rabbis that would literally say, Jewish rabbis would literally say, the whole reason that Gentiles exist was to keep hell hot. When Paul put these two words together, grace and Gentile, in the same sentence, it was shocking. We use the word oxymoron. You know what oxymoron? It's describing two things that shouldn't go together, like airline food (laughs) or sanitary landfill or pretty ugly or working vacation or butthead or I'll give you an exact estimate or short sermon. (laughs) Some things just don't go together. And the idea that Jews would receive grace was really offensive. And therein is the why we find giving grace to be so challenging. Grace offered to some people, oh, I can give them grace, that's easy. That person, that particular kind of sin, that particular issue, I find that offensive. Like we're, like we're important. I find that offensive. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> Our grace, that was not gracious. Just trying to teach model. Our grace is limited to the sins that we're comfortable with. Our grace is limited to certain kinds of personalities. Our grace is limited. God's grace is not. It was so hard for the early followers of Jesus who knew what Paul did. Paul, who was formerly Saul, had dragged their family members out of their homes, out of their home churches, had stoned them, had them imprisoned, and now he's professing following Jesus, and now now he gets to be the apostle, and I'm supposed to follow him? Are you kidding me? It was hard. The grace was scandalous. Philip Yancey is an author. He said this, the loud whisper from the gospel is that I did not get what I deserved. I deserve punishment and got forgiveness. I deserve wrath and I got love. I deserve debtor's prison and got instead a clean credit history. I deserve stern lectures and crawl on your knees repentance. I got a banquet and a feast spread for me. Write this down. Number two, grace begins to heal you by first revealing your own brokenness. By first revealing your own brokenness. He says in verse seven, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. God's grace gives you the power to live a much better life. If someone came up to you after church and they gave you $1,000, 
you would then have some buying power. You could go buy a big screen TV at Best Buy. You could buy an iPad with $1,000. You could go to Whole Foods and buy three or four items. <laughs> the gift comes with a capacity, right? A, a power to do something. If you're broken and you receive grace, it has this power to shape your life and to literally change your future. Now, let me tell you a secret of the super rich in Christ. When you understand the grace that you need and how much you really need, you become humble. When you don't get how much grace you really need, you remain arrogant and prideful. Paul, he starts out, we can see the growth in his life, you know, uh, people like titles, I'm an apostle, I'm a bishop, I'm this, I'm that, or whatever. But look at Paul's life. Notice this, this progression. Paul begins his ministry by introducing himself this way. I am the least of all the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Now that's pretty good. He's, he's kind of being humble. I'm the least, but then of all the apostles. Like I'm the least of all the billionaires. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm the least of all the apostles. And then he says in Ephesians 3.8, I'm the least of all the saints. And then at the end of his life, he refers to himself this way, I am the chief of sinners. Apostle, servant, chief of all sinners. Now, if I have the honor of being your pastor and you call me pastor, that, I consider that an honor. That's wonderful. Or when I walk by, you can just say, hey, there goes the chief. Right? Chief of all sinners. Paul, as he got older, he saw himself as he truly was. One person prays, I thank God that I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Another person says, God have mercy on me. I am worse than so-and-so. I'm worse than everybody. What's the difference? Humility. Self-awareness. Character is not how well you fake it. It's how you endure in the heat while under the pressure of life's darkest moments. When Tracy and I got married nearly 32 years ago, I bought her a modest ring that I could pay cash for, and she loved it. And, um, but as we, as we got closer to our 20th year anniversary, that's kind of a big deal, and Tracy wanted to get a, a ring that would, uh, it was, she wanted white gold, and uh, I remember, I remember, the way I remember it is that she wanted it to be substantial in size. Um, she, she, the way she remembers it is it just happened to be bigger. And uh, so over time, we had set aside some money for this new diamond ring, and, and we had done some looking, and um, I had a, we had a general idea of what we wanted and what store that we were, jeweler that we were looking at, and, and, and you know, when you've been married 20 years, you just kind of become a little more practical. You want to shop, find the special ring, but also want to get the big, you know, the right deal and so forth. And so anyway, one, one Friday night, um, Tracy and I got into a huge, huge fight. And uh, I, I don't remember what it was over, but Tracy left the house that evening, I assumed to cool off or so I thought. That next morning, Saturday morning, I wake up and Tracy has her hand and her ring finger in front of my face. And she's saying, do you like it? <laughs> and there is this big, huge, beautiful diamond ring right in my, do you like it? And I, I knew there was only one answer. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. I, I'm not a diamondologist, but that is gorgeous, honey. 
And I could tell by, and by the size of it, I'm going, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, this is amazing. Now, there are two things that form a diamond and a great marriage. Heat and pressure. Heat and pressure. A couple like that never fights does not yet have a deep marriage. I'm serious. So if you get the whole thing, oh yeah, we never fight, we never raise our voice, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have to have some heat and some pressure to, to go deep. Just stuffing and playing nice on the surface is not going, the same as going deep. Now a diamond, did you know this? It starts as carbon monoxide buried hundreds of miles into the earth. Did you, I looked this up, I researched, what? I didn't know this. Carbon monoxide, or carbon dioxide, excuse me, it's buried 100 miles into the earth mantle and it grows over thousands of years and diamonds are formed under intense heat over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Also, a pressure of 750,000 pounds per square inch. Heat and pressure make a beautiful diamond. The diamonds are brought if over time close up to the surface through deep volcanic eruptions that bring them up. That same year that Tracy received her diamond ring, uh, we were under unusual heat and pressure from a variety of things all at the same time as a couple. We had just, we had just started to add on to our ranch-style home in Lincoln, and I did an owner-builder thing, so I was like the general contractor uh, overseeing it, and it was kind of fun. And we, as you know, we have two sons, Samuel and Isaac, but we also had two other adopted sons. We've had 27 adults that have lived with us that are, are kids to us over the years. And so uh, this particular season, we had Chris and Cowboy Gary. We called him Cowboy Gary because he, he was a real cowboy, actually. And uh, it was the real deal. And um, so we were adding on to our house, so they had to move their beds out of the bedroom. And so we put all the beds into the living room. And so, like, you would walk in, seriously, for three months, you'd walk into our house, and it would look like sleep train right there, right there in the living room. At this same three-month period, uh, our church had bought an historic downtown theater, and we were renovating it, and we had three months a deadline in which to finish that. In addition to that, our church owned 20 acres next to a highway, and we had a small lake and an earthen dam on the property that held the water in. Now, to give you an idea, the size of the lake was within one-inch, square-inch surface level of making that dam fit into the California state dam jurisdiction, which would have put it into a whole other category, but it gives you an idea of the scope and size. Well, guess what? This earthen dam began to leak, and they had just built Sun City. And if this thing were to burst, it was going to flood all these homes, and the church was going to be liable. Everybody say pressure. That's a little bit of pressure. So we now have to come up with a half a million dollars to fix this dam while we're in a $2 million theater project while we're spending money on our home fixing or uh, uh, adding on. So in the middle of all that, one day I come home and Tracy's in tears and she has lost her new diamond ring. And we looked everywhere for it. We were told that it was insured when we got it. You know, we were told all that, and then we tell them, and then, we, no, it's not insured, and blah, 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 blah. And so we never had the money to replace that ring. 
So a few months later, it's our 20th year anniversary. We go to Monterey and uh, we're at a bed and breakfast and Tracy's starting to have these neurological symptoms. And uh, so we left the bed and breakfast for Monterey. We drove right past this church actually back in 2005 on our way to Kaiser to, to get an MRI. And within weeks, Tracy was diagnosed with MS. So for the last 12, 12 years, uh, Tracy has not uh, had a diamond ring or a diamond wedding ring. And... Um, and uh, Tracy has gone through intense heat and pressure. With MS, you have symptoms that are all over your body. They move all over your body. And a lot of people that have MS are on multiple kinds of medication in which to cope with what you're dealing with. She's on absolutely no medication of any kind. And she's just an amazing, grace-filled lady. The heat and the pressure that has happened in her life, she just continues to, to dig deeper into the soil of our relationship with Jesus. And because of that, she just continues to shine brighter and brighter, and she just radiates God's glory and kindness. And furthermore, she's always, literally always, comforting and encouraging and thinking about other people. In fact, right now, Tracy's serving in the nursery. During the 1030, this next gathering, can you guys keep a secret? I'm dead serious about this. I'm dead serious about this. You keep, you keep this secret or you're going to go meet Jesus early. Okay, I'm, am I real clear on that? I'm, I may be older, but there's 6'3", 260 pounds of this that can, okay, I'm just saying, okay? So you cannot tell her this, but in the next gathering when I talk about this, this part, I'm going to present her with this. And yeah. So if you want to hang around and see that, uh, you can, but don't you dare hint. Don't you wink. Don't you do anything. I will come after you because I got it. I'll just say, God, please forgive me. Grace. So. One of the things that I've learned about grace, number three, write this down, is grace comes to us when we need it the most. When we need it the most. Uh, one of my favorite stories is Les Miserables, and it's the first, I, I like the, uh, what, what's so funny? No, that is how you say it. I looked it up, buddy, on YouTube, because I knew there'd be one of you in the front aisle. Go on YouTube and look it up. There's an English pronunciation and a French. Look it up. Anyway, you know, millennials. Anyway, Grace, Grace, come here, come here, come here. All right, all okay. right. Don't pull me down there; it'll hurt my back. Okay, look. All right, thank you. All right. So anyway, I lo I love the movie, not so much the musical, like whatever. Uh, but I love the movie, and it's based on the 19th century novel, uh, Victor Hugo, and it's about a man named Jean Valjean. You want to question that, too? Okay. Uh, and he's, he's put into prison for stealing bread because of an unjust system, and uh, he's there for years. He comes out. He's very bitter. He's very angry, and a Catholic priest takes him, a bishop takes him into his home, and that night, he gets up during the night, and he steals all the silverware, which was worth a lot of money, and runs. Well, the police catch him. They bring him back to the bishop's home to confront him and verify in front of the Catholic priest that he had stolen the silverware. They caught him, caught him. And uh, so they bring him in. 
And uh, the priest says, oh, no, I, I gave him the silverware. And, and they're like, what? What do you mean? And, and uh, Jean Valjean is like, you know, he's in dismay. And he goes, oh, yeah. And, and then the priest goes, and you forgot the candlesticks. And he gives him more and gives him the candlesticks. And the police say, well, we thought he was a thief. And he says, no, I, I gave him all these things, and he's free to go. And for the first time, Jean Valjean encounters grace. He didn't deserve it. In fact, his actions were the opposite of what he deserved. Grace, when you experience it face-to-face, it humbles you. And then it restores you. Grace exposes you, and then it covers you. Brennan Manning said this, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. Number four, grace makes us the most like God. Victor Hugo said, to love one another, to love another person is to see the face of God. You are best able to love another person when you have begun first to love yourself. And then he says these words, Victor Hugo, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. The great acts of love are done by those who are habitually performing small acts of kindness. We pardon to the extent that we love. Love is knowing that even when you are alone, you will never be lonely again. And great happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved, loved for ourselves and even loved in spite of ourselves. I want to close with this simple question. Have you received God's grace into your life? Have you let, have you let his grace go deep into the wounds of your heart? There's the grace that we find in salvation, faith and grace that leads us to repentance and salvation. But there's also a deepening reality of receiving his grace every day and who you are. That when that voice says you're not enough, grace says, yes, you are. Have you received God's grace? A.W. Tozer said, we please him most not frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into his arms with all our imperfections and believing that he understands everything and still loves us. Our challenge isn't to become more than we are, but to rest in who we are in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes in reverence to those that are around you. And I just want... I want you to invite God into the broken places in your life. Invite God into your suffering. Maybe you're struggling with a disease or an illness or sickness. Maybe you're struggling with with things that have happened in your marriage or in your family or in your life or in your career or your business. Where do you need God's grace? For some of you this morning, there's just an awareness that I need God's grace and salvation this Palm Sunday, as we begin to move and count the days down towards Easter, there's something in your heart that says, I would like to follow Jesus. I don't understand all that it means, 
but I'd like to receive forgiveness of my sin, the guilt and shame, the regrets of my life. I want to receive this love. I want to receive this grace. And I want to begin to follow Jesus. And if you're here today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to have you stand or come forward, but right where you're at, if, if, if you would like to make peace with God, and receive forgiveness of your sins and begin a, a, a new relationship of following Jesus, just raise your hand. Just slip it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Anyone else? Just respond to him. Thank you. That's wonderful. You can put your hands down. That's great. I want to pray with you. You can make this your prayer right where you're at. Lord Jesus, I just receive your grace today. Lord, I acknowledge my sin. Lord, I... I acknowledge my hiddenness as a person, as a human being, my sense of fracturedness, Lord God, my all the ways that I don't measure up, all the ways that I'm not enough. Lord, I just, I just humble myself and I lay myself before you symbolically and I acknowledge your death on the cross and I acknowledge your resurrection and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and to come into my heart. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just pray today for all, all of us that are here, the family of God. Lord, I don't know what each person's going through. I don't know what challenges you're facing. I don't know what decisions you're trying to make, but have you received the grace of God? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to read the last few verses of this chapter that we've been studying, chapter 3. It ends with a prayer. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, amen.